to welcome you all to Watershed this morning where we find freedom, friendship, and rest. Um, I invite you all to stand and greet your neighbor. And our question of the day is, what are your big plans for Memorial Day weekend? You going camping, on the boat, staying in? What are your plans? Yeah.
papers out of there. <laughs> That's okay. Um, great. I invite you all to um, stay standing and join us in these next couple of songs and really, really worship out. would rocks cry out to worship whose glory taught the stars to shine perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing but this joy is mine with a thousand
give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. You give life.
Dear Lord, thank you for letting us all gather here today to worship you and be here with you in this space together. Um, I pray for Drew this morning as he's preaching, and I just hope that um, he can share all of his thoughts about you. And in your name we pray, amen. At this time, I'm going to invite kids preschool through fifth grade to gather over here so that you can go to Sunday school. Let's pray. Father God, as we just sang, great are you, Lord. May we just open up our hearts and minds to the message this morning from Drew and what we are taught in our classes. May we just leave this building um, just praising you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to talk really quickly about that video. I know the kids were already dismissed. Probably should have had them in to get excited about Adventure Week. But we are bringing back VBS, now called Adventure Week, here at Hardawake this summer. We are still in need of a few volunteers, and we would love to have more kids register. Um, I think so far we have close to 75 or 80 kids registered, which is a good start. I'd love to see about 120, so invite friends, neighbors, um, co-workers, kids to come and join us that week for Adventure Week here on site. One thing about Hardawake's ministry here is you will not see this program at any other church because it was written for Hardawake Ministries. So a lot of times you'll drive around and see signs for a VBS program that is at one church, and you'll see it the same one at another church. You will only see this program here. So if your kids are into superheroes, we are going to have Batman here that week. We are going to have Superman and Wonder Woman and I think Spider-Man. So we invite your kids to sign up for that. And if you're interested in helping out that week, you can go online to register the kids and online to volunteer. Or you can see me after church today and we'll talk about it. Thanks. Check, check. Hey, good morning, everybody. 
So I'm going to sign up for that. I want to see Spider-Man. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Drew. I'm the other really tall guy here at Watershed. Uh, I had to adjust this. It was really low. Um, so today, I just have the really cool opportunity for, uh, to talk today just about worship. Um, so before we begin, though, um, let's, let's pray together as we get into God's Word. Jesus, we love you. And uh, today, as we just start thinking about true worship, what it looks like for us in our daily lives. We just pray that you would just uh, open our minds and our hearts and just inspire us today to look for ways to worship you in every moment, because God, you seek true worshipers. Uh, give me the words today to speak and just uh, encourage us and inspire us to live in your kingdom here and now. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, my name is Drew. I've been at Watershed for uh, just over a year now. Um, on Easter. And so uh, this opportunity kind of came up. Aaron was looking at a couple of these Sundays here in May, and he's like, they're standalone Sundays. We've got to come, come up with some cool messages uh, for us to talk about, some things that will matter to us as a faith community. And he said, do you want to talk about worship? And I said, yes, but I don't think he realized I had like five Sundays worth of content in my head. So um, I tried to boil that all down into one, but we'll see what happens today. This could be, this could be fun. So um, and he's not here to stop me, right? So he's on the live stream, I'm sure. Uh, so we were t thinking about talking about rhythms of rest. And if you were with us last week, Aaron talked about some of the ideas of Sabbath, Sabbath rest, resting, and having this kind of one day in seven living differently so that we can live all six other days differently as well. Uh, and last week, he kind of started to get into these ideas of talking about delight and worship. And I'm going to be piggybacking uh, on that idea today and talking about just rhythms of worship. And now I say rhythms because they're kind of sort of these patterned things that we get to do that over time form us and shape us when we do them for the long haul, right? They're not just instances or just moments, but when we do them kind of in a patterned way, they begin to shape us. So today, um, I'm going to be talking about rhythms of worship. So, but I also thought today, as I, we're just getting into this message, I thought this could be a really cool opportunity for me to just share a little bit of my story because I know you guys have seen me up here singing. Uh, I got a break from it today. Wait, music was amazing, right? Yeah, go team. Awesome. Um, just exciting to be part of a, a vibrant worship community, amen? But this is a, an opportunity I thought I would just share a little bit of my story to kind of share um, where I've come from, how I kind of landed here in, in, in worship ministry. So I was, uh, I was raised in the church. I think I was maybe at church more than I was at home. I was kind of like the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and like multiple other times during the week kind of guy that my parents just kind of brought me there, and that was like my life. I just kind of always was there doing churchy kind of stuff. Um, it was one of those like, you know, pipe organ, wooden pew, stained glass kind of churches. And I just got to tell you, like, I had a really hard time connecting with that kind of church experience. And so for probably 18 years of my life, I just struggled to feel like it made sense, or I belonged there, or I could connect with it, or I could find God in, in, in all of this kind of stuff. But it wasn't really until I was graduating kind of high school, I signed on to be uh, a camp counselor at a summer camp. I thought that'd be a really fun job, because it's just like hanging out with kids and playing games. But then I realized like, oh, part of the job is like I have to talk about Jesus, so I should probably know something about my Bible. Uh, and so I made profession of faith at that time at 18, and then began to go into camp ministry and started to share the love of Jesus with these kids. And it was sort of this like, fake it until you make it kind of thing. But I began to realize that camp ministry really started to work in my heart and shape uh, my life for Jesus. 
And so I kind of ended up doing that most of college in the summers, working at camp ministry. And uh, when I was in college and I was able to kind of go to church for myself, I ended up going to a buddy's church. He was playing electric guitar in a rock band. And I thought, that's cool. I've never seen that in church before. So I came just to watch my friend play. Well, turns out this worship pastor found out I could play pretty much any instrument that I got my hands on. And so he tapped me on the shoulder and said, I hear you're musical and I need you to audition. And so I did. So I auditioned on drums. And he was like, you're, that's great. Uh, we don't need a drummer, we need a bass player. And so I said, okay, I've never played bass before. So they threw a church bass at me and I was up in two weeks. So um, that kind of got me into worship ministry and it's kind of been like my life ever since. Um, when I graduated college though, I kind of felt this call to go into full-time ministry. I ended up in the camp world for a while, working as a program director at a summer camp. And part of the camp experience was helping young people have meaningful worship experiences. So I was like, okay, I've got just me and the blue guitar, and i got to figure out how to help these kids worship Jesus. And it was like this, I don't know how to do this. Um, but it was everything from first grade up through 11th grade, and I had to make these meaningful worship experiences. And uh, so I began to just study, and I began to learn, and I began to dig into Scripture and figure out what, what exactly is worship and how exactly should we do it uh, to help these kids kind of be drawn into it and have, have sort of an encounter with Christ through the worship, worship experience. Uh, so I began worship, uh, leading worship for these kiddos, and I gotta tell you, it was just really fun. Kids are a blast because they kind of are just like a, a bundle of excitement, and uh, when the music is loud, they just get really excited and they get really into it. But began to see um, just God moving through the worship ministry, and it was very exciting to be a part of because it kind of felt like it really wasn't me, it was God moving. Um, so eventually, um, I was at a different church playing uh, really electric guitar and some bass there and whatever else they threw at me. And I was tapping the shoulder at this church and I was asked if I would do a worship arts internship. So I was like, sure, I just want to say yes to opportunities. So I ended up doing an internship in worship arts for about a year and it was through that process that I felt sort of this call to go into church ministry um, when I knew my time in camp ministry was done. And all that to say, I thought for sure that I was going to be a social studies teacher in college. So um, I kind of sort of fell into this, and I've been sort of kind of tumbling my way through it. Uh, and here I am. I'm at Watershed, and I've been here for a year, uh, kind of guiding and leading sort of the worship ministry, um, and it's been just awesome so far. So that's kind of a little bit my story. I've been on this journey, though, of figuring out what worship is for a handful of years, and as I dive into scripture and I've been reading books about it, I began to realize that I had a very small idea of what worship was. Growing up, I had this idea that worship was, was fit in this little kind of box, right? How many of us in the room today, when we hear the word worship, think music and song? Worship. When we immediately just think worship is like music and song, right? A lot of us kind of have that. You can interact with me. It's all right. Uh, I won't bite you. So we kind of have this idea, right, that worship is like song, singing music, part of the church gathering. It's like what we put on our radio when we're driving in the car and we belt it. And uh, it, that's, a, that's what worship is, right? But as I began to study, I began to realize that more often than not in Scripture, worship is something way bigger, way more broad, and way more than just 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. So that's kind of a little bit what we're talking about today. Um, after graduating college and getting into camp ministry, I was reading this book. Fun fact, they give you this paper and they say you're ready for real life, and at this point, you kind of feel like, I now know that I know nothing. So I began to just study and read books and learn as much as I could. 
So I came, uh, I came across this book, God's at War, by Kyle Edelman. He's a teaching pastor at a church in Kentucky. And um, this really sort of like opened my mind to the reality that I can either worship God or I can be worshiping any other thing or many other things. And I began to realize there are little G gods that vie for the attention of my heart and they want the throne in my heart, but it only belongs to God. And what happened was I was confronted with the harsh reality that I would say that I was a worshiper of Jesus, like with my, with my words, but my life actually showed that I worshiped a lot of the other things, a lot of things that God didn't want me to be worshiping. In fact, and I saw in my life that I was actually a worshiper of entertainment at the time of success, of achievement, of romance, and ultimately I worshiped the God of self. And I was confronted with that harsh reality. And I realized when I looked around that I wasn't alone. My friends, my family, we all kind of had this incidental worship of all the wrong things. Wow. So I want us to all understand something here. We need to come to terms with the fact that every single one of us is a worshiper. It's not something we get to decide to do. It's something we just inherently do, whether we decide that or whether we think that or not. I came across this quote, and it's a kind of a quirky one, but it cuts right to the chase. This is from a guy named Harold Best. His title, Emeritus Dean slash Professor of Music at the Wheaton College Conservatory of Music. That's a sweet title. But he says this, nobody does not worship. Nobody does not worship. Uh, this is from his book, uh, Unceasing Worship, and it's excellent. Uh, but he says, nobody does not worship. And he goes on to talk about how every single one of us is designed, is wired to worship, whether we realize it or not. When we talk about worship, we have to start here. All of us, every single one of us in this room, you and I, we're worshipers. It's something that we were designed for, made for. It's something we're wired uniquely to do. So if we flip back all the way to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, we get a picture of this design. Catch this, before the fall of mankind, the original perfect world, Genesis 2.15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. As Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, uh, work was intended to be a good thing. And it is, it just now comes with toil, right? The sweat on your brow, the toughness, the difficulty. And that's all just a mark of the brokenness of sin. And we feel that, right? Anyone feel that? The brokenness of sin? But back here in Genesis, Adam was charged with this working and this caretaking. One of the first mandates that God gave to humanity. The beautiful Hebrew word that's tucked into this passage is the word avodah. Avodah. And it, it means not only to work, but to worship and to serve. And these things kind of work in tandem. This idea of working for the Lord, of worshiping the Lord, and of serving the Lord, right? And so it's way bigger than just maybe singing and song. It's more of our life, more of our work, more of our posture as we do our lives. And so many Hebrew words function like this, where they take on deep layers of meaning that are really rich and nuanced. So get toil out of your mind and think work as, uh, worship as like work and serving and worshiping, all kind of working as one together. And hang on to that thought because it's not just song, it's not just singing, it's working, worshiping, and serving all together. And this is a super combo, working in tandem, designed by God as our inherent purpose, why we're here. We're not here by accident. We're here to worship, work, and serve in the kingdom. Uh, but the problem is we know the story, right? Sin kind of broke a lot of stuff. It kind of wrecked a lot of things. And we feel the effects of that in a fallen world, right? And time after time, we see people working towards the wrong goal and serving the wrong things or themselves. 
and maybe worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And that's the story we still find ourselves in. And to think that we're exempt from that is, is foolish. A couple questions come to mind to help us kind of think through what we might actually end up worshiping. Number one, where do I spend most of my time? Where does my time go in a week? Where does the bulk or majority of it go? Or where do I like to spend my time? Okay, where do you spend your affection? Where does your love go? To whom or to what gets your love? Where does my money end up going? What do I prioritize with my spending or my saving? And four, what are some of the things that are on my mind or on my heart that get me excited when I wake up in the morning? What am I excited to do with my life today? When we ask ourselves these questions and we take an honest inventory, we can get to some places where we go, I might have pointed my life in the wrong direction. I might have pointed it at a little G God. I might have put something on the throne in my heart that God doesn't really want for me to have there. So the reality is this, everyone worships and everyone is a worshiper. But the cool thing is we can have some intention behind this. When we are aware, we can redirect, right? We can have intentionality and direct our worship at maybe sort of the right things instead of less of the right things. Now I say this, like there are plenty of things at the end of those questions that are good things, right? The reality is that when a good thing takes God's place, it becomes a really bad thing, right? Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. It's that same idea good things, good intentions, good hearts behind it, when they supersede God's place, become an idol, become a, a, something we worship that isn't, isn't correct. So if we have this kind of mindset uh, that we're all worshipers, but we get to direct our worship at something or someone, that's our framework. Let's dive in. If you've got your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in John chapter 4, starting with verse 19. It's going to be on screen as well. John chapter 4, verse 19. We're stepping in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with this Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, he's just breaking down so many of her mindsets in this conversation. And she's just, he's just blowing her mind. Like, we don't have time today to talk about all the geographical uh, boundaries he's crossing, all the cultural, all the gender, all the social, all the ethnic boundaries that are being broken, crossed in this situation. Today we're just going to look at a small section of it as a launch point for what we're talking about because there's a point where they get to talking about where worship is supposed to take place. So catch this, John 4, starting with verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So as they're talking, the Samaritan woman thinks she can get to the bottom of a controversial topic of the day. Where, where's the proper place, right? So she identifies Jesus as somebody who could probably speak into this and says, all right, I want to get to the bottom of this. Here on this mountain or over there in Jerusalem, and in true Jesus fashion, he tends to leave us with more questions, more things to consider, more food for thought to chew on for a while rather than an answer. How often do we also come to God with what seems like this question 
I ask it, it'll just answer all the things and it'll make all the more sense and then I'll have my faith perfectly worked out. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not how I, I'm going to do things. And I often leave us with more to think about. Same thing here. She asks, where? Where is the appropriate place to be worshiping? And, he, and she says, here or there. And he, don't you just love this? His answer is like, yeah, neither. Yep, neither. It's like a, a silly would you rather. Jesus, would you ha- like to have one scoop of ice cream or two? And he goes, I'd like creme brulee. That sounds really good right now. So Jesus is just blowing up her categories of thought, right? Neither. It's something different altogether. And time and time again, we see Jesus doing this in scripture. We have these ideas, we have these frameworks, we have these mentalities, and then we approach Jesus with them and we find out, ooh, it might be way different than I had previously understood. And that's true of worship, at least in my story and probably for you too today. So this is what we're going to start with. God is looking for true worshipers. That's our quest today, to, to, to look at scripture, to examine if we're trending towards something called true worship, or if we might not have realized that we incidentally gave our worship to something that's not God. Because God seeks our heart, but we might have given it away to someone or something else. One of my worship mentors likes to say this. He says, worship is our response to who God is and what he's doing expressed in everything we do. Worship is our response to who God is and what he's doing expressed in everything we do. I, I like that one. It's really stuck with me because it gets after this idea that, that worship is so much more than just singing a song for 30 minutes on a Sunday. It's something expressed in everything, in everything that we do. And if that's true, then it touches every part of our life, or it can touch every part of our life. From the moment that we wake up in the morning to the end of our conscious day, everything, all things we do, all things we say, can be acts of worship to God. Right? Multiple, continual acts of worship to God. Even resting at night, like we kind of touched base on last week with Sabbath, can be an act of worship. Trusting God is an act of worship. Resting is an act of worship. Last week, Pastor Aaron that mentioned that even mowing his lawn can be an act of celebration and delight. Remember that Adam and Eve were called to work and care for the garden. It was a delight to tend to the project, to lend their hand to the task, and to offer themselves as worshipers of God by submitting to his rule and his reign and his design for their lives. And similarly, there are so many ways that we can submit to his rule, his reign, and his design for our lives by living a life of worship. Now, let's get clear on something. We don't worship God to gain his favor. This was my approach to God as a child growing up because I didn't understand, right? I thought if I worshiped God and got on his good side, then maybe I'd go to heaven someday. If I did all the right things, if I put all the things in the basket correctly, then maybe God would look on me favorably. But the reality is this. God the Father looks at us, and he sees his son, those of us who are in Christ, and he sees someone in whom he is well-pleased. We worship God responding to what he's already done for us. Christ has done it all. We talk about the finished work of Christ a lot. God has done it already. Christ is the one who made a way to the Father. Christ is the one who tackled the barriers between us and God. He's the one who tore the veil in the temple, the thing that divided us from God's full presence in the Holy of Holies. We have access to God through Christ. His holy presence dwells in us now. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves because he's holy and he's righteous and he's pure and he's sinless and he's active in love. In him and only him can we approach God and that makes him worthy of praise. 
He's the only one that could do it. So we don't worship God to get on his good side. We're already there in Christ, okay? Tuck that in your heart today. You're already there in Christ. So what then? How do we worship God? We worship him with gratitude. Gratitude is the posture of a true worshiper who understands what Christ has done, right? Have you ever been given a surprise gift? Something like super expensive or very big or really just surprising, like you did not expect it. Anyone ever been given a, a really cool gift like that? Yeah. Something maybe out of your budget or something really extravagant and it just kind of caught you off guard, right? How weird would it be if we immediately pulled out our wallet and started whipping out Benjamins to pay for it? A gift becomes a transaction. It's not relational anymore and it loses all its meaning, right? So we have to approach God understanding this is a gift that we can't even pay for. We can't even give back anything close to what it costs. So we just have to accept the gift. Because this isn't a transaction, this is a relationship. Right? Sometimes we're polite and we say, are you sure you shouldn't have? Because we understand the cost of something. Or maybe we feel unworthy of receiving it. And maybe that's okay to feel some of those things because the cost was high. And we kind of are unworthy. But God says, I love you. And that makes us, I don't know, worthy in his eyes. So what do we do? Right When we are given a great gift, we go, wow, thank you. This is amazing. I can't believe you thought of me. How awesome. And this should be our same approach to God, right? This gratitude approach. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, you are wonderful. I can't believe you thought of me. How awesome you are. We worship God out of gratitude for what he's done for us. As a worship team, we've been uh, working our way through a bunch of different Hebrew words in the Old Testament about how the, the Jewish people would have worshipped God. We've been working on this for actually like a, it's been like a six-month project, getting through all of these kind of words and discussing all the implications and meanings. But what we found is actually more of these Hebrew words have less to do with singing and song and music and have a lot more to do with your heart and have a lot more to do with expression or posture of your body. In fact, there are so many that talk about your hands or your arms or your, your body in movement. And all these are just expressions that explode out of you through your body. Our English translations of the Bible, I mean, they're super nice to read. I like reading the Bible in English because I speak that. But the translation stuff is a little challenging sometimes because the Hebrew words behind a lot of our English words have way more meaning than our English words give them, right? So you'll read in your Bibles, if you flip through the Psalms, worship, praise, maybe bless, right? Those are kind of the words that we, we have. But behind them, the very guts of these Hebrew words are explosive. They have nuances and, and these deep, rich implications. One of the most common ones, you've heard it before probably, halal. Halal is one of the Hebrew words for worship. It's where we get hallelujah. We've sang it before here at Watershed, hallelujah. But if we actually go back to the Hebrew word, halal means this. It means to see wild, crazy rambunctious, raving, dancing with joyous and uninhibited excitement. How many of you are ready to do that on Sunday morning? That's a challenge, right? But that's, that's just one of many words that we see that worship takes this bodily posture in exuberant excitement with joy out of the abundance of the heart. Boom, it just explodes out of people, right? We see this in the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, he danced madly. And when confronted on it, his remark was that he would become even more undignified than this because his worship was for God, 
not known. I have a story about how this happened to me as a bass player once. Some lady was really upset. I was moving to the music, and I kind of was like, really? I'm worshiping God. Sorry. Um, but God had David's heart, and he just wanted to express that. From his head to his toes, he wanted to express that. I could go on and on about all these Hebrew words, uh, but this is just one of many that talk about expressions and postures of the heart because worship is more of a posture than a practice, right? A practice is like a song and singing, but a posture is what your heart is doing behind the song and singing. A posture is what your heart is doing behind all the acts of your life. I love this quote from Zach Meese in his book, How to Worship a King. We do not have a reserved and stoic God. We have an extravagant and demonstrative God. I love that. It's a reminder to me that Jesus went to great lengths, right? Passionately pursuing my heart to reach out and rescue me. And if I get it, if I truly get what Jesus did for me, and I think I'm going to spend my whole life understanding deeper and deeper what that really is, my response is surprise, is gratitude, is love, is adoration to him. I get to respond to him in awe and in wonder. He didn't hold anything back to get to me. So I shouldn't hold anything back in response. But if I'm honest, I hold back a lot, right? I approach God with so much reservation. And I don't know if it's that I just don't want to look silly or if I don't, I don't want to feel uncomfortable or if my pride kind of stands in the way or if I'm just trying to convince myself that this posture is one of reverence and that's how I'm just going to be. Or I tell myself, I'll just listen to the words and see if I can get anything out of this music. But I think it boils down to this. I'm really good at excusing myself from engaging in worship. And this is talking about Sunday songs, right? Standing in church. The cross of Christ was a shameful thing and extremely uncomfortable. And Jesus cast down his pride, submitting himself to this on my behalf, on your behalf, on all of our behalf. So what does my flesh say, though? If I let it, it says this, I'll worship if I feel like it. Maybe if I get warmed up a little bit in the first few songs. It's a good thing I have this coffee in my hand so I don't have to do anything with my hands here. Yeah, I feel all right. I don't want to be a distraction to anybody. Maybe if the worship team plays the song I like. Then I'll join in. But ultimately, I find myself doing this. My flesh says this is about me. My comfort and my feelings, me. And at the end of the day, those are just excuses. I'm excusing myself. Now, I don't say this to point any fingers or shame anybody because uh, shame is never a great way to approach anything Jesus <laughs> at all. Because I know we're a singing church because I can hear you. We're a singing church. Amen? Yeah, I hear you. But I'm telling you, this used to be me. And it still sometimes is me. My flesh tends to want to fall back into that just by nature. I used to stand with my hands in my pockets, just barely mouthing the words. Right? Growing up in the growing up in the church, it was me. I didn't really care and I didn't really enjoy it, so I excused myself. I just gave it lip service. But God has something to say about this. Check this out, Isaiah twenty nine, thirteen. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips. 
and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by Moses. Catch that? They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We get a picture of what God desires there. Our hearts, not just our words. Our hearts. Wow. But remember, this is an all-of-life thing. It's so much more than songs on a Sunday morning. It is that, but it's so much more. I'm in a, a worship collective that meets on Zoom every week, led by a guy named Joe, who used to be the worship pastor at Willow Creek. Um, and so it's been fun kind of talking shop with these folks. But he said this recently in a remark. He said, Jesus would say, when your heart is engaged, that's when you're worshiping. Jesus would say, when your heart's engaged, that's when you're worshiping. When God has your whole heart, it touches every part of your life. And when your whole heart is engaged, it's real, it's authentic, it's genuine, and it contains substance. It's all in. And that's what God wants. That's what God desires. In every moment, every hour of every day, and everything you do, you can put your heart into it, right? That throne in your heart that belongs to God, you can remove all those other things and go, God, you can have it, all of it. This is your throne in my heart. This is yours. Not just for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning and then go back to your life. Not just for the worship gathering on Sunday, but every moment of your life. Because your life is a gift from God. God wants us to treasure him. Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. God wants your heart because he wants you to treasure him. Not just some of it, not just part of it. And he doesn't want to share it with anyone or anything else. Why? Because scripture says he's a jealous God. He knows nothing compares to him. And then you like to compare things to him. You like to share that throne. Like it's inevitably due. And you like to hang from him. No other thing in this whole universe comes close to Christ. No other worship can even come close. So that's the invitation and the opportunity. Now, in a lot of this conversation, we're gravitating towards, like, still kind of music and song, right? Sort of natural for us. But there's a scattered piece of worship, too. We've been alluding to it a bit. When we gather as a church, it's the gathering. But when you go out the rest of Sunday, Monday through Saturday, this is the scattered piece where we can also worship, right? Just because the gathering is over doesn't mean worship is done. Doesn't mean worship should stop. We get to do it when we scatter. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Wherever you go, in every moment, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whether it's Monday morning on your commute, thanking God that you can worship through a hard day's work and he provides the paycheck, you can give God the glory. Tuesday evening at the dinner table when you gather with family or with friends and you thank God for his goodness, and taste and see that the Lord is good when you take that first bite of dinner. Give God the glory. Maybe it's Wednesday in the office when you could cut a corner or have to deal with a difficult coworker, but you choose love and patience and integrity the Jesus way. And you thank God for giving you a measure of his spirit so that you are enabled to do that. Give God the glory. How about Thursday night when you're watching the grandkids and seeing life through the lens of a child? And you praise him because we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can just see that a little bit more in children. Maybe it's Friday night. You're at the skate park with friends and you see just the most beautiful sunset. And you realize only God could paint this across the sky. He's the master artist. And you give him glory. You worship him. Maybe it's Saturday morning. You're strolling through the farmer's market and you see just the variety of produce, fruits, 
grown locally and you realize God didn't just give us bread, but he gave us an abundance, a lavish amount of things to provide for our very most basic need, food, water, shelter. And we go, God, you are caring for me and you are caring for your people. Praise you. Look at that generosity. Look at what you provided. How can you give God the glory and praise this week beyond the gathering today? I don't have an answer for you, but it's something we can all reflect on, sort of chew on this week. Think about it tomorrow. Think about it Tuesday. Think about it Wednesday. Find the intentionality to make every act of your life one that gives God glory, that esteems him, that points to who he is and what he's done in your life. God seeks true worshipers. I don't know if I'm there yet, but that's my goal. I don't know if I ever quite will be, but that's the aim. I want my life to be one that points towards him, that gives him true and honest, authentic worship. And I'm trying. But it takes intentionality. I want God to get all the glory and forward it on up to him. That out of my gratitude, out of my heart posture, he just gets glorified. He gets worshiped through every act of my life. So much more could be said here. This really only just begins the conversation of what true worship really looks and feels like. It just scratches the surface. But I hope this conversation is just sort of a launching point for you to then take these conversations and questions and thoughts to God and continue to work it out. My encouragement to you is this. Whatever you do, don't hold back on applying your heart. God made your heart. He owns it. That throne in your heart is for him and him only. Worship him with thankfulness, with gratitude in that heart, expressed in everything you do, and point our lives in the direction of true worship. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to invite the worship team back up to close us out with a song. God, we love you. We want to be true worshipers. Help us not to hold back, but to surrender and give our whole hearts to you, to give you everything that we have, to understand that our whole life is an act of worship, one that's meant to honor and glorify you. Help us to be true worshipers today. Because, God, worship is more a posture than a practice. It's our hearts inclined towards you every day, every moment, giving you and you alone the glory only you deserve. Help us to be true worshipers. We love you with everything we are. Amen. I invite you all to stand now as we um, do worship and a song of response to what we just sang about. Spoke the earth into 
can I say and what can I do but offer my heart, oh God, completely to you. This is true worship. Uh, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you in your coming and in your going. May your whole life be an act of true worship unto him every day of your life. Amen. Two things before we close up. One, we've got Third Sunday Potluck happening in the loft here in just a few minutes. There's plenty. Come on up for lunch. And number two, I forgot to mention it, but next week is a combined service out here on the lawn. All three worshiping communities are gathering for Memorial Day weekend. So join us for that, 10 a.m. Trying to find love in somebody else All of the stress in this bad for my health